0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
1: Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Blood. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. My guest today is Dean Carnassus. He is an ultra marathon runner and author of the book Ultra Marathon Man. Please enjoy our conversation. Dean Carnassus, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. It's,
2: thank you for having me run by.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for doing this, man. Listen, um, I, I can't run, but, and I have no, I personally have no hope of ever doing an ultra marathon. But I do imagine even if you like running, even if you wake up every day and you just go, I want to go for a run at some point in an ultra marathon, there comes a point where you have to beat your body and your mind. And I'm really interested in hearing about how you do that. I mean, unless you just say, no, I'm a freak. I love it the whole way. And if I didn't have to sleep, I could run forever and never stop. Like I, I can't imagine that's the case.
2: You, you know, there's a sense of exploration uh, when you do these kind of things, both, you know, the environment and, and in external and internal. I think that for me, um, when things get tough, I, I kind of, you know, there's a saying, embrace the suck. Yeah, I just I, I eat it up. I'm like, all right, this is horrible. Like you're, you're throwing up, you're shitting in your pants, you're cramping this. I don't know if I've ever been this bad before. I love this shit. You know, can it get worse? And so I kind of, you know, just lean into the torture. Uh, and and then, you know, honestly, when things get really, really bleak, uh, people say, what do you think about? And you know thinking is the problem. Uh, you need to turn off your mind. So I literally just put on the blinders to how much further I got to go. I don't reflect on the past. I just think of one thing, my next footstep. So all I do in my mind is say, take your next footstep to the best of your ability and your next footstep. It's almost like this Zen-like trance you get into but i i've been become very disciplined at not letting my mind wander and just focus on that one thing and sometimes i'll do that for a couple hours if it's
1: really you know really a dark moment hours okay does it require data beforehand because i know that um i know that if you look at like a lot of different studies we can see that uh, our mind will limit us and our bodies can actually do much more than we perceive that they can do. Do you have to go into it knowing that? Or because, because I, my mind will tell me like, you're going to break, you're going to break. Don't hurt yourself. You know, a lot of that, which, which is like a governor, which slows me down, which tries to stop me. And you know, I have to, I have to ignore that. I completely understand turning it off and ignoring the mind, but does it require data? Do you have to go into it knowing that? Like I, set up some real guardrails where you could hurt yourself
2: <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the wrong guy to ask that question i i just i just pushed you know I, i've been doing this for three decades and i've never had an injury wow. so i just i don't know i just i i demand a lot of my body i take good care of my body but i just push through pain i ignore things i ignore signals that say stop and I haven't broken yet. Maybe one day I will, but um, I, I don't pay attention to it. I just think that, you know, uh, I've seen my body, what it's capable of. I've seen myself come back from the dead and run another 50 miles.
1: <laughs> it's, it's insane.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, one of my sayings is uh, endurance comes from enduring. Right. So you learn about endurance just by throwing yourself into these situations and seeing, you know, how far you can go
1: yeah okay so like you're running a marathon to the south pole the south pole right not the north pole i don't think you can run one to the north pole maybe you can um it's it's freezing i mean beyond freezing the you don't have snowshoes on what is going through your head then is 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 that just not the right question because nothing because you've turned off whatever would be going through a a normal or an average person's head you know you're in a hyphen. like this
2: heightened sense of awareness i mean that was a kind of a sketchy situation because you know the the south pole is the most remote place on earth and this whole thing kind of unraveled and what i was doing running on the polar plateau you know without any support was ludicrous i mean absolutely ludicrous and you know it's minus 35 degrees you know you you can't you can't tie your shoes because you take your gloves off and you get frostbite (laughs) You know, you've got to wear this neoprene muffler in front of your face because you can't breathe in this super chill air. It'll freeze your lungs. So I was so focused on not dying, literally, and trying to keep my body moving because I was so afraid if I slowed down, I was going to get frostbite and hypothermia. So that was that was a really sketchy, you know, <laughs> nine hours of running. And usually, usually a marathon takes me around three or four hours at most. And that was nine hours of... um slogging through the snow, uh, hoping I I wouldn't die. Yeah.
1: Were there people waiting for you at the South Pole? Did you have like a rescue crew at all?
2: It was one of those clusters where, you know, I was supposed to be home in 12 days. I told my wife, you know, and 31 days later, I came home. I mean, wow. I, I learned how dangerous it was. And, you know, there's supposed to be 30 to 40 intrepid runners from around the globe all convening on the South Pole for the you know inaugural South Pole Marathon. There was three of us. And it was one and done. I mean, they've never tried to do it again. It was it was really dangerous. And it, it got to the point where we were stuck on the polar plateau trying to do this this marathon for 10 days. And the weather just wasn't clear. It wasn't safe. And we had this snowmobile that no one had adjusted the carburetor for altitude because the South Pole's at like uh, 11,000 feet above sea level. So this snowmobile that was supposed to be supporting us was really unreliable. Oh my God. <laughs> and I thought... But we, I thought and there was talk that we just need to abandon. Like, let's let's just get out of here. And I thought I've invested so much time and effort into this. I'm not leaving until, you know, I run this damn marathon. And that's, you know, that's when you make bad decisions is kind of under that pressure cooker. And that's what kept going through my mind. Is like you're going to die because you you should have just packed it up and left. <laughs>
1: But I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about it now, like there, you could have gone through the ice there. There are probably crevasses, hidden crevasses. I mean, that seems nuts.
2: Yeah. In hindsight, it was, there's so many times I look back on shit I've done (laughs) uh, and thought, wow, it's amazing. You're not dead. Yeah. There's so many times, you know, when something tragic happens, you know, if you're, if you're spared your life, you look back and say, shit, that was horrible. But when it doesn't happen, you don't really think it could have happened. But I, I look back now, I reflect back now on so many events that I've done where I thought you could have fallen off that cliff. That you know, that ice shelf could have broken off. This and that, you know. So it's yeah, I'm still here.
1: <laughs> I so I was reading about you. You started running very young, right? You started running by running home from school,
2: running home from kindergarten. Yeah.
1: Okay, going from running home from kindergarten to running. 80 hours straight with no sleep unbroken 80 which just seems truly impossible to me are you just pushing it more and more and seeing what you're capable of or i mean what what is the evolution like there
2: well i you know i just i i i heard about this 50 mile race and i thought that's impossible. Like a human can't run a 50 miles. It, you know, there's hotels or there's, there's trickery. I thought, you know, you get in a car, there's bikes along the way or campgrounds. And the guy said, no, the gun goes off and you just run and you stop when you cross the finish line. And I thought I so fucked up. I got to try it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I did this 50 mile race and I finished and it was the toughest thing I'd ever done. I mean, it was, it was so painful. And I'm sitting there in the, you know, the medic tent with wrapped in this like Mylar blanket shivering. And I see these two guys high-fiving each other saying, we qualified, we qualified. And I'm thinking for, for the insane asylum, like, what did you qualify for? The guy's like, no, dude, we qualified for the Western States 100-mile endurance run.
1: Oh, my God. I'm
2: like, hold it. 100 miles, like twice this far? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, well, where do you sleep or where do you stop at night? He's like, you don't. You put on a headlamp and you, you just run straight through the night and you cross a river I'm like, well, how do you eat? He's like, you just eat while you run. (laughs) And, and the last thing they said before they walked out of there is like, Hey buddy, you qualified as well. And when they said that to me, I knew I would never live down that moment. And unless I ran this hundred mile race, I knew forever from past that point, I would look back and say, God, you know, you qualified and you didn't, you didn't have the, you know, the courage to do it. So I did this hundred mile race and it was, it just proved to me that, you know, that, what was impossible was now achievable. Right. So after that I thought, you know, there's uh, this 135 mile race across Death Valley in the middle of summer, you know, the Badwater Ultra Marathon, did that. And there was really nothing beyond that race, but I heard about this 200 mile uh, 12 person relay race. And I just asked if I could sign up for it as a team of one. <laughs>
1: oh my god.
2: And and so I ran 200 miles and I thought holy shit. I just ran 200 miles. Yeah.
1: Wow, I mean that. I mean, the headspace to get into that for me—it's it, very hard to to picture that evolution. I mean, I I do understand it, but but it's just it's it's. I mean, it seems slightly masochistic, no? Like, I think that anything like that requires at least a change of perspective from what what is normally perceived as just painful or brutal, and you got to learn to like it somehow.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the appeal is, but you're absolutely right. I think that uh, people are drawn to these kind of tough events that, that hurt you. Um, it is a lot of physical pain. And, it, you know, it's not just ultra-marathoning. I mean, marathoning uh, is, is experiencing a surgence right now like I've never seen. I mean, there are, there are a lot of kids in their 20s and even earlier, like late teens that are running marathons. And I just don't, you know, I, I asked him what, what is the appeal? And they're there's like, wow, it's, it's really fucking hard. Like I, I don't, you yeah. know, there's not a lot of hard things in my life these days and I'm going to do something really hard. And that takes a lot of focus and discipline. I, there's something appealing about that to a certain person.
1: Yeah, no, I used to ride bicycles and, and I could do a, a century, which is a hundred miles on a bicycle, pretty much n- no problem. I went out for a, a live strong event in Austin and went out with the Mellow Johnny's guys. That's the bicycle shop that was associated with the event. And we rode a hundred miles and, and that wasn't, that was not bad. And then I tried to run a 5k the next day and man, my legs were blown out from the 5k. Like the cardiovascular effort wasn't hard at all. Cause it was like nothing compared to what I was used to doing on a bicycle, but I just, my, my my lower back, my hips, my legs, they hurt so bad from three miles or whatever a 5K is that I was just off, you know, it wasn't worth it because I could get the satisfaction of doing something hard. Riding a bike was very hard and I and I understand suffering and I enjoyed suffering on a bike, but I did not like not being able to walk for a couple of days after a very short run. <laughs> I mean, it's really... It's really another thing altogether. Um, you said earlier that you take good care of your body. What does that mean? What do you do?
2: You know, one thing I never do is I, I never sit down. You can probably tell right now I'm standing up. So, yeah. uh, you know, if I, if I don't have to travel anywhere, um, I have a commitment that from the moment I get out of bed uh, until the moment I crawl back into bed at night, I don't sit down. So I do everything standing up. You know, I do all my writing, my emails, everything, interviews, uh, standing up. Uh, I have this um, hit training routine with body weight. It's about twelve to fourteen minutes, and it's basically you know push- ups, pull ups, chair dips, uh, burpees. It's like a combination of those. and I cycle through those throughout the course of the day. So I've already done like two sets this morning, and you know after the interview, I'll do another set and and then I obviously i am uh, I run as well and I, and I cross train i you know I cycle I've done a number of centuries and double centuries. So, I, I do a lot of cross training on um, mostly now this thing called an elliptigo, which is a stand up bike. It's, it's a, basically a bike, but you're standing up. Uh, and oh, and on, you're
1: making the motions of like an elliptical machine?
2: Yes. Uh, oh, the wow. handlebars are stationary and it's, it's got gears like 12 gears. You know, it's got hand disc brakes, but it's, <clears throat> you're, you know, you're running like this. It's, it's tough because you're not very aerodynamically efficient because you're standing straight up but i've done you know centuries and and uh really enjoy it and you're right <laughs> even after a 100 mile elliptigo, uh it, it's different than running like a yeah. marathon like the next day you just you feel not the not as not as brutalized i think yeah. on the uh,
1: on a century no there's just the, i mean listen it's tough work for the legs but there's no impact you're not you're not making contact with the ground every second or, you know, every half second. I don't know what your cadence is like, but I imagine it's pretty quick. And so, you know, I I almost think of like running as like the ground is punching you a million times (laughs) over the course of a run. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's jarring. Like it's a, to me, when I think about running, I think of like, like a savage type of torture, (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah and you know i mean it gets it gets easier uh, i'm always amazed at the the range of, of human ability because when you first start running it just it's horrible and yeah. you, you know like even to run a mile is really tough a continuous mile and eventually you're able to do it and then and then two miles and then 10 miles and then you know 100 miles you're able to just sustain yourself and, and it's really crazy because, you know, someone of the same age, you know, even the same build that runs 100 miles, the, their neighbor who, you know, doesn't run at all finds it hard to run one mile. Right. And we're the same species, but it's just, you, you you know, the body adapts.
1: Yeah. And I think that endurance is one of the things that has allowed us to evolve the, the way we have um, because you don't see that. You see a, a, a lot of other. Uh, mammals that can go very fast for a short distance but there aren't that many that have the ability to do the kind of stuff that you're doing
2: yeah i mean there's a an entire theory uh, on that thread that basically says that's why we evolved to be humans the way we are because we could chase down prey um you know we don't have fur so we're better at heat dissipation and You know i've beaten horses in in 100 mile foot races so i know a man cannot run a horse over a long distance
1: yeah yeah when i think back to like um people going across the country in in horse on horses or or horse-drawn carriages um i think they were making an average of like 20 miles a day you know and and that might be a leisurely pace but you know if you're if you're gonna chase a horse for 100 miles Chances are, as long as you can keep going at, at like an average speed, you will beat it at some point. Yeah. That
2: yeah is cool. You know, I, I told you I'm, I'm 100% Greek and, <clears throat> um, you know, the, the original marathoner, Phidippides or Phidippides, was uh, part of a class of citizen called Hemothromi, which means day-long runner. And um, the Greeks realized that in the mountainous and, and, you know, hilly and hot terrain of southern Greece, a man could outrun a horse. So they trained these foot messengers to be like a faster internet. You know, they could outrun a cavalry if if they got invaded, and they could disseminate and collect information, intelligence quicker on foot than on horseback.
1: Wow! And that's how that's how the the marathon got into the Olympic Games initially.
2: Uh, it's a fascinating history. Um the the the, the gentleman Pheidippides, the the runner, actually uh it's better known that he ran from uh, athens to sparta to recruit oh. the spartans so if you've ever seen like 300 you know who, who's the most badass fighting force in ancient greece it's the spartans so he ran this ultra marathon before he ran the marathon oh uh, wow. it's like 150 miles from athens to sparta and he did it and he arrived the day after setting out which is like sub 36 hours right which is insane because, you know, there's, he didn't have a GPS, he didn't have a smartphone, you know, he didn't have any sort of footwear, like our modern footwear. He didn't have, you know, consistent access to food or or water. I mean, he foraged along the way and he ran 150 miles in sub 36 hours. So, you know, these guys were real fit. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And then they dumbed it down for the Olympics. They were like, we're going to have average citizens perform this. They're only going to have to do 26 miles
2: it's more the story is actually more colorful than that because um apparently after he he got to Sparta the Spartans said we'll come help you Athenians you know battle the Persians but we can't leave for six days because our religion forbids us for leaving for battle until the moon is full and that won't be for six days so Pheidippides thought I got to tell my Athenian brethren that you know the Spartans are coming and they're just delayed so he ran to marathon and marathon is actually a place in Greece uh, it's called the Bay of Marathon and marathon means field of fennel you know like wild fennel which grows all over the coast of of greece so the word marathon actually means field of fennel (laughs) oh wow but he he got to marathon you know the athenians decided they couldn't wait six days and they you know they attacked the persians and they somehow defeated them and then the last uh marathon you know pdpd's ran uh, from the battlefield to the acropolis and he proclaimed uh, niki niki or nike nike which means victory victory we are victorious. And then he died.
1: Oh man. Yeah. Uh, that's that's, that's
2: night Got his, you know, the name of his company, by the way.
1: Right. From Phidipides. Yeah. Running around to save Greece.
2: Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the modern Olympics uh, in the ancient Olympics, you know, the longest distance was what they call a stayed which is just a lap around the state. That's where we get the term stadium. So, and it was like, you know, so it was like 400 meters. They didn't have a marathon, but the marathon happened in uh, 1896 with the modern Olympics.
1: Okay. Mm. And that was just because they went back and looked at the history and were like, dudes, we're running this far. Let's make them run a long distance.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was a French guy that came up with it actually. And, um, and the original marathon was, um, 24.8 miles. Like the, the distance from the, uh, marathon to the Acropolis is 24.8 miles. And the guy who won the first marathon was a Greek guy. He was a fisherman who ran barefoot and, uh, at the midway point he stopped in a taverna uh, and he had a shot of whiskey and a raw egg. <laughs>
1: that was his, that was his like energy. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. That's mm-hmm. amazing. I, I always get tripped out when I see old, um, pictures of cyclists smoking cigarettes because they thought yeah. it would open their lungs you know and then having a coke a coke would be their big energy drink you know but yeah. like a shot of whiskey and an egg that sounds good <laughs> you got protein fat and yeah. maybe some alcohol sugar from the whiskey
2: yeah alcohol definitely numbs the pain
1: yeah mm. um okay having done all these things are you are you done pushing yourself or are there bigger crazier things you're, you're interested in doing
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm still running 100 mile races all the time and further. So I'm still doing those, you know, a few times a year, if not more. And I've been working on this project with a buddy of mine, who's another ultramarathoner. And we're trying to run from the lowest point on Earth to the highest
1: point on Earth. From Death Valley. Death Valley is the lowest point on Earth, right? Death
2: Valley is the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere.
1: Okay, so there's a lower point in the Eastern Hemisphere?
2: Uh, In the East. Yep. Yep.
1: How, How low is it?
2: It's. I think it's over 500 feet below sea level. It's it's the Dead wow. Sea in Jordan. Okay. Yeah. And then obviously the the highest point on Earth is Mount Everest. So we're we're trying to um, do an ultra marathon from the lowest to the highest.
1: Okay, but how would that work? Because <laughs> that's way more yeah. than a hundred miles.
2: Yeah. No, it'd be multi day. It it takes right. about four to five months. We're trying to work out the logistics right now. Wow. And you've got to arrive at base camp of Everest, you know, within a certain window, because uh, you can only, you know, get to the top, um, like mid, mid-April mid to, you know, mid-May kind of thing.
1: Right. I mean, that sounds completely psychotic to me. <laughs> Just outlandishly nuts. I hope you do it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've run across the U.S. So I've run from L.A. to, to New York City. Uh, it's a, the distance is maybe a little bit further than that, but... I know what it's like to run 40 to 50 miles a day for 75 days. Wow. And, yeah.
1: That's what it took you 75 days to run across America. Yes. And that's stopping and sleeping. You're not, um, you're not yeah, just no, like... that was
2: continuous. That was stopping and sleeping. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. I mean that, yeah, I guess it, who could stay awake for that long. Um, what was that like?
2: It was glorious. I mean, you know, to experience the whole country on foot, uh, it's it you know it's kind of romantic in a way and you you certainly see a lot more than when you 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 know you do a road trip. Yeah. And it's a little more immersive in experience and yeah there there are endearing moments you know running through the countryside and and then there are you know horrible moments running along major thoroughfares.
1: Are, but, when uh, you're doing that are you running on highways or are you trying to find like off-road paths?
2: We tried to use as much uh off-road at least off the beaten path um, paths as possible, but sometimes you had to go into the, the main highways.
1: Yeah. And I imagine when you'd be running through nature, it's beautiful. And then you get to a city and there's like rush hour traffic and cars zooming around. It's probably not that great.
2: Yeah. It, yeah. You know, the, 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 it was endearing in certain ways, like the truckers, you know, cause they all commute, they're all talking to each other constantly as they're driving. They, you know, they would pass me and someone say, Oh, there's that guy's running across America. So these trucks would whiz by and they'd honk, which would scare the crap out of me. You know, I knew they were doing it, you know, to, to wish me well. But I mean, when there's a and big rig coming up behind you at 70 miles an hour and they honk, <laughs> it's just absolutely terrifying.
1: Yeah, I bet. Mm. Do you pay much attention to what you eat or do you eat whatever you want?
2: You know, I used to eat whatever I want. Um, you know, in, in my first book, I famously write about uh doing that relay I was telling you about, that 200 mile relay, and um, I was out in the middle of nowhere, uh, late at night, and I had run out of food, but thankfully I had a, it was a flip phone, remember the Motorola, I had a
1: flip
2: phone and a self and a credit card. So I called um, a pizza, (laughs) called Roundtable, and had them deliver a pizza to me on the run.
1: And Um, they just found you while you were running and gave you a pizza and you ate it while you were running?
2: well, I mean, I told the guy, the coordinates, like I said, here's, here's where I am. And this, you know, I like how long is it going to take? He's like, yeah, probably 45 minutes. Or I'm, I'm like, let's meet on this corner. Right. Uh, he's like, hold it. Is that your house? I'm like, well, it is now. He, didn't, he had no idea he was delivering it to a runner. Right. And he brought it to me and he's like, Dude, this is outrageous. He's like, what are you going to do? Um, but I told him, I told him to make it with a really thin crust and, and not to slice it. And then I rolled it into this big like pizzerito, like a big burrito. I just mowed it, you know, in this roll as I ran.
1: And eating like that while you're running, that doesn't that didn't mess up your stomach or anything like that? No, it was delicious.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, people hear about that story and they're like, I could never eat a pizza while I'm running. I wasn't sprinting. I was running 200 miles. So it's kind of shuffling at a point and uh you know i I couldn't eat a pizza like that on a shorter run
1: sure Mm -hmm. yeah and i imagine after whatever distance you'd already run your body is just so hungry it's begging for anything you're going to put in it
2: yeah you're pretty much in caloric deficit no matter what you eat because you know you just you just can't put that much food in your stomach
1: yeah and so okay that was back then now today uh, are you do you are you concerned with how you eat or are there any you know, do you do you think of food in terms of health and not health and good and bad food, or or do you are you able to just think of food as food?
2: No, I'm I'm pretty particular about what I eat nowadays. I mean, I like to say if I can't, um, you know, dig it from the earth or you know, pluck it from a tree or catch it with my hands, I don't eat it.
1: Okay. So I've
2: kind of I've gotten away from packaged food. You know, I mean, for the past I've been like keto, paleo, pescadarian for about the last fifteen years uh in my normal everyday diet
1: so i've
2: I've, you know you're you're too young to know a guy named jack lalane
1: no no i remember jack lalane sure
2: he's like my mentor and he said um dean if man makes it don't eat it and if it tastes good spit it out so i (laughs) kind of (laughs) kind of follow that nothing too sweet you know nothing too um too too messed with that goes in my mouth
1: and for for a, a really long effort Are you eating any kind of refined sugars or gels or anything like that?
2: Yeah. When I'm, when I'm doing an event, I kind of shift um, my eating strategy and, you know, I do certain gels. Uh, Some gels are made with maltodextrin. So they're not as like uh, syrupy and sweet because, you know, eating a lot of gels just gets nauseating after a while. Yeah. I also like um, nut butters. So, you know, like hazelnut butters, probably my favorite Um, cashew nut butter.
1: Hmm. i used to eat these things called bonk breakers which hmm. um were bars that just tasted like they were mostly made of nut butters and whole grains or something like that it was just a really dense um square of energy
2: yeah i remember that company i don't know if they're still around but i remember i remember having their stuff yeah yeah
1: yeah there yeah. there there are there are interesting products out there that you can find like you know i think um that I think that's a concern for some people with like who, who, who eat clean, like the way you're describing, I think of eating very clean um, and then you get into it and you're like, well, how, you know, it's not super conducive to a long effort to have like a giant bag of apples on your back or bananas <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? You want to yeah. put something in a small pocket, you need yeah. condensed energy.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I work um, pretty closely with hammer nutrition And they have these raw bars that are basically, you know, it's, it's six ingredients and it's all raw and it's, you know, it's a nut butter is the base and they're kind of like bonk breakers. Uh, They're really dense and really tasty and no simple sugars. There's no, there's no sucrose or, you know, cane sugar or anything like that in there. So, and even a lot of their, um, you know, their like uh, energy drinks are made with maltodextrin and a good source of, you know, carbohydrates. It's not, there's no simple sugars in there
1: right yeah 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 did you notice from from the time where you would order a pizza on a run i mean were you were you trying were you eating was your diet similar then and you just found yourself out in the sticks and needed something and got a pizza or were you eating whatever you wanted back then
2: i i had no idea what the heck i was doing you know (laughs) just 30 years ago so i was eating whatever potato chips whatever i take you know sweets anything i was always you know, when you run 200 miles, you're just almost always constantly starving. Right. So I was just eating anything, and it got me to the finish. I could probably do that nowadays as well uh, during a race. I just, as I've gotten, you know, older, I've noticed that my energy levels really um, are pronounced more when I eat junk food. So yeah. I just, I don't, I don't like. I'd rather just fast than eat. Like people say, how do you travel? And you know, if I'm in an airport and I can't find anything healthy, I just, I'd rather fast then eat something bad because I just know it'll make me feel so horrible.
1: Yeah. I find traveling to be really difficult. And, and one of my issues um, has always been like ang- anxiety and I think also boredom. And so travel, like it doesn't matter where I'm going or how long the flight is. I sit down on an airplane and I just become ravenously hungry. And most of the time I will pack my own food for a trip. Sometimes I don't, and it just gets really tricky. But I think if you can get into the habit of fasting, like or being willing to fast for a period of time, because you know, I, I don't think there's really anybody in America who's gonna who's gonna damage themselves by fasting for uh, you know a travel <laughs> day, right? Like I think yeah. we're all yeah. pretty much okay, um, yeah. you know, unless you're hypoglycemic or something like that, and and or even have type one diabetes and have crashing blood sugar um and you you gotta have something but that's that's different than eating out of boredom or just because you know you have a flight delay
2: yeah no i mean i I hear what you're saying though you know you sit down and you're kind of locked in one position and you know you're bored you just want to (laughs) eat
1: yeah I, Yeah. I, i i did i have noticed i've been traveling a lot lately and it does seem like and this is everywhere though like you know i i kind of um bitch about this quite a bit but like all points of commerce now or it seems like most points of commerce now in america also are selling you food like you go to office depot and as you're checking out there's like a smorgasbord of candy available to purchase because How could you make it back to your car without a bag of Skittles? You you know what I mean? Like you're going to die of starvation. Um, But then even at airports, like it is just wild how much of the average American day is spent eating. I mean, there's just so much food everywhere.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when you go to Europe, it's not quite, it's a little bit different, which I really like. Um, We're gluttonous and (laughs) your podcast says it all. I mean, it's, it's, it's not healthy. And I I think there's, I think there's more recognition of this nowadays than there ever has been. I mean, I've been like preaching to my kids, uh, you know, don't eat that. Don't do this. You know, I, I tried to, When my daughter discovered ketchup i was just appalled like oh god it's just cane sugar and and a little bit of tomato in there Uh, and nowadays she eats so clean you know and she just think i was a free they they, my kids would never bring their friends over because they thought i was a freak they're like dad there's nothing we don't have potato chips we don't have there's we don't have donuts we don't have anything like that i'm not bringing my friends over here right now they now they kind of embrace you know uh, what what i was preaching to them when they were younger
1: yeah, now we we have the house that didn't have that stuff. This is how we were raised. Now it's like a problem. You, you know, it's one of these things where like if we go back um to like the Great Depression where there were soup lines and there and there wasn't enough food or enough money for people to feed their families. And then we progress a little bit further and we look at all the subsidization of food of corn of 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 soy of beef and and how inexpensive food has gotten and also like to your point how you stand all day long um i think the average person mostly doesn't stand at all or doesn't walk at all you know that a lot of jobs are sitting and and not all of them but a huge percentage percentage of them. And it's, it's kind of no wonder that the health in America has declined the way it has.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tragic. And, you know, the other thing is that, you know, most Americans don't really have a relationship with the outdoors. Uh, I've always had a very strong relationship with nature. And, you know, I'm privileged. I live in California, you know, and I can walk out my front door and there are trailheads that I can access. But I think that being so far removed from the natural environment that we're meant to be in is really unhealthy. And, you know, I get it. I ran across America. There's some places are just not that inspiring. Like you just don't want to be outside. It's not that compelling. We're here. You know, I've got, I can go run by the beach, you know, I can, but I think that's to me is, is fundamental to being human. I mean, I, I couldn't just live in a man-made environment the way most people do. I, I, I would shrivel up and die.
1: Yeah. If, if, if somebody's listening to this, you know, you know, I, I, I was very overweight and I've lost a lot of weight. I've lost a lot of weight a number of times, but like, I think mostly what we're talking about is people who have set ridiculous physical goals and achieved them that you fall into that category. But we're also talking about like what people eat and how to set them. And like, It's one thing to talk to you who started running as a kid, but what would your advice be to somebody who's inspired to get moving, to get out there um, in terms that, that, you know, allow them to keep coming back enough to build up to some big extravagant goal? Because, you know, I think if somebody's, you know, 100 pounds overweight and they go, I want to do an ultra marathon tomorrow, they might be sorely let down.
2: I think for them to say, I'm going to do a marathon within a year uh, is, is a great goal. And I think anyone can do it. I know a lot of people that are listening to this or tuning in are going to say that. No, that's, that's the other guy. Like I, I could never do a, a marathon. That's not, it's, that's impossible. That's why you need to run a marathon and you can do it. I mean, you can run, walk. Uh, it, it's a lofty goal and it's something that you'll remember the rest of your life. I mean, when you cross that finish line, they put the medal over your neck. You'll remember that moment for the rest of your life as one of the most fulfilling things you've ever done. It brings so much self uh, fulfillment and internal gratitude. Uh, it is really internal gratitude. It doesn't matter about the metal. I mean, sure, it's a nice piece of hardware, but knowing that you did it, it just carries over into everything in your life. So, you know, people say, I, I just I can't do it. And I convince them that you can do it. So sign up, sign up for something a year from now sign up in a city that you love you know new york or chicago or wherever it might be and, and register for this this marathon and then you got a goal in front of you and it's intimidating it's scary as hell let's face it but when you're you know sitting you come home from work you're either gonna sit on the couch and have a beer and, and drink you know and, and eat some pizza or you're gonna do your training run you've got this thing this little you know voice in the back of your mind saying hey buddy get up and get out there and pay your dues so I think it's a really healthy experience and I think that, um, it's, it's something that everyone, it's almost like an indoctrination to be in human. Uh, people say, what about a half marathon? I think you can do a half marathon in training. I, I don't like the term half marathon. I wish they come up with a different term because you feel like you're half of something that other people are doing. So it right. kind of like, so I don't like that. I always say, no, you know, you got to do the full marathon. You got to do the full thing and you know, People have come, gotten back to me and said, I did it and you were right.
1: <laughs> what, it, are there good training templates available that, that are easy to access that you think w- work well or, or w- work well across a large populace where it's like, you know, I, I mean, I have no idea, but it's like run this much, this many days in a row and then increase it or take a break or, or however it works.
2: There are very detailed programs that are for free you can go online and say, you know, I want to run a marathon in in one year, you know, tell me the program, tell me the diet, you know, uh, tell me the shoes, uh, tell me the clothing, and yeah, and all that stuff. Um, There are programs that combine running and walking. A good friend of mine is a guy named Jeff Galloway, and he teaches this run-walk technique. It's a great way to to, uh, minimize impact, and people have, actually, they're their best times doing this run, walk versus just running continuously. So,
1: and uh, run, walk means, uh, oscillating, going back and forth between running, or is it a hybrid where you're doing, like I've seen, um, I don't know if it's speed walking. Is that what you're talking about? No, I should be, I should clarify.
2: No, it's, um, it's running for a certain, uh, time, time period. And then, and you can, you can actually set, You know, there's certain apps that, um, you can set that'll like every four minutes you take a one minute walk break, you know, but you're still walking pretty quickly, but then it, you know, pings again, you start running for four minutes and then it pings and you walk for one minute. Yeah.
1: Are there any, you talked about gear, are there, is there gear where you can run uh, an ultra marathon and your feet are just fine, not blistered, not cut up or or is that just something you as a, as a maniac are pushing through every time, no matter what?
2: I think it's a combination of both. I mean, um, footwear has become so refined over the past five years. I mean, it's incredible, the leaps in footwear technology. So <clears throat> I always tell people, you know, when you, when you start your, your journey, uh, start from the ground up. So invest in a good pair of shoes and, you know, there are running specialty stores um, that I think are the best resource to get a good pair of shoes. Uh, there are shoes that have, they're called Hoka's, for instance, they have so much cushioning. Uh, there are other shoes called ultras that have a really wide forefoot and they're neutral. There's no rocker. So it's just, it's as though you're running barefoot with cushioning. So there's all kinds of footwear technology that uh, will accommodate your style of running. You know, that. Uh, people ask what what is the best shoe and the best shoe is the best shoe that's right for you.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to say what's going to be perfect for everyone. Are you more of a fan of the more minimalist or more cushion type of a shoe?
2: I can run in wooden clogs. Right. right. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I now I've gone to more cushion uh, just because, you know, I've, I've got some wear and tear on the chassis, but um, depending on the terrain, uh, I'll run in minimalist shoes. Sometimes I'll run barefoot. I think barefoot running is something my high school coach always encouraged us to do uh, along the sand on the beach. And then we'd come back to the infield track uh, and we'd run barefoot on on the grass. So I really believe in barefoot running. I I mean, I see some people running marathons barefoot on the road. And I I don't think that's very healthy, honestly. Um, So, but I think on, on, you know, softer terrain, that running barefoot is really a beneficial thing.
1: People are running on the road with no <laughs> shoes on. Yes. Wow. Are they just finishing with bloody feet or are, have they built up calluses that are are getting them through that?
2: Uh Both. Right. Yeah. I, I tried it one time. Like I, I ran the Silicon Valley marathon barefoot <clears throat> and it was it was the worst thing I've ever done <laughs> yeah it was man, Yeah, I, I didn't realize rough. any benefits I mean half half the half the course was on a trail which was my salvation but the other half on the road was it was horrible
1: yeah I mean it's like uh running on a cheese grater yeah. <laughs> that is amazing what's next for you you run a couple hundred hundred mile ultra marathons a, a year what's the next thing you're doing you know, I'm, uh, again, I'm going
2: back to my Greek route uh, roots. Um, I, I was appointed as the um, ambassador of uh, Greek tourism. So I'm spending more time uh, running in Greece, which the running there is is amazing. Uh, so I'm looking to do some more projects like running, maybe running and then swimming across to an island and running on the island, kind of doing these um, multi-sport adventures.
1: That's amazing. If you do do uh, the Dead Sea, up to, um, the highest point on earth, w- when would that be?
2: We're looking at probably, uh, 2025. So starting out in either, um, December of 2024 or January of 2025. The, 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 big issue right now is, you know, the most direct route goes through Iraq and Iran. Right. And the state department's just saying, no way, uh, going a more Northern route is, is really tricky. You go through the, the stands like Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan, the politically they're fine. It's just, it's adds like 2000 miles and a lot of logistics. So we're hoping the political, you know, the geopolitical uh, landscape will change a little bit in that time frame, So we, we can run across Iraq and Iran.
1: Have you checked with Iraq and Iran? What do they think about it?
2: That I've mentioned this uh, on a couple of podcasts like yours, and I've gotten so many messages on social media, primarily from Iran saying, Dean, we love you. Show up at our border we will surround you with a hundred people the entire way across our country. We're runners, just like you we will put you up every night. You'll be escorted across our country. It'd be an honor for you guys to come run through our country. The state department's not buying into it. They're like, you know, you're still a target. And, sure. but anyway, I think that'd be the, a really beautiful element to, to this adventure is to be able to, to just kind of say, Hey, we're runners, you know, at, at heart, it's a commonality we all share. Running, you know. Uh,
1: I mean, it's almost like a a peace, a peace mission. It, you know, y- you could run through those countries with an olive branch or something. You know, I, I don't know, but it seems like, I, uh, I mean, the idea at first to me is is a little bit daunting and scary, but but then I think that you could probably pull it off. I mean, if you if you did a a marathon at the north at the South Pole you could find people who are going to get you through those countries safely.
2: Yeah. It's just, you know, when you have the U S government involved, it's, it becomes bureaucratic and, you know, it, it yeah, it's a whole nother layer. It, it, I don't know. I've, I've been a U.S. athlete ambassador. So I've been on a few sports diplomacy envoys um, to certain areas of the world. And, you know, the, when you're, you know, in, when you're brought into that, that world, um, you know, you realize how coddled American citizens are, for better, or for worse. I mean, Americans take care of Americans. So, if you know, no matter if you're, a, you know, kind of a visible athlete like me or, or not, um, they're not going to let you go into a, a harmful situation overseas. They're going to advise you against it, and they're going to make every effort to get you out of there if something bad happens.
1: Yeah, and and there's no route south of those countries that's easy. <laughs>
2: my my partner in this charlie yeah that's that's his uh that that that's his logic as well that the route that is south that he thinks is safer i'm not so sure is paddling uh, a two man kayak across the indian ocean oh yeah wow
1: right <laughs> two weeks
2: that's... in a boat together but i love like, i love you buddy but two weeks in a boat together is yeah but that could be our own alternative is is just a paddle um to india and and get out of the boat and resume our run
1: right man that sounds like such an adventure well i hope you do it i i uh I, I i don't know if if paddling for two weeks is really less scary than running across iraq and iran i i, I don't know they're both pretty scary um
2: there, there are lots of pirates actual legit pirates in that area so yeah right
1: but they're not looking for dudes on a kayak they're not looking to steal your gps are they maybe they hold you hostage
2: that yeah that would be the worst scenarios they just take us hostage and try to get money out of us our families yeah
1: right but but you're not hauling oil or anything like that no there's no
2: there's yeah there's no gold bullion on our boat
1: (laughs) they take your gps they take your mres and and uh, but but really i guess you are the precious cargo there
2: hopefully those deliver pizzas are taking our stuff
1: yeah exactly (laughs) Well, Dean, that is also exciting, and I've got your book, Ultra Marathon Man. I cannot wait to read it, and I'm excited for your further adventures. Thank you so much. It's
2: been a fascinating conversation. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, let's let's run that marathon together. <laughs> yeah,
1: I did. Um, I did. I've done more than a hundred miles on a bike in in a go, and that I I was able to do that every day for a week straight, and it wasn't a problem. I I went to to um Europe for one um I think it was 2011 or 12 and rode almost all the stages of the Tour de France that year we would get up really early and right and that was you know I think over the course of uh three weeks we rode w- well over a thousand miles um and I've done a a full marathon on a rowing machine um mm. f- meters um in just over three hours. And so like, I've, I've got the cardio. I, you know, this was a while ago. I don't know that I have the cardio today. I know I could get the cardio back. Like that's not what's holding me back, but man, I think about running across my yard and I just, my feet, I have (laughs) like, I have like incredibly (laughs) flat feet and I don't. I I just don't think running has never been in the cards for me. But I will tell you what I'll do. I will go to a running shoe, a uh, running shoe store, and try to find a good pair of shoes and maybe some insoles that correct my feet a little bit. And I'll give running another shot. But, um, you know, maybe I'll ride a bike when you run one of these hundred crazy marathons with you. <laughs> you, you know, something like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, you know, we can we can ride a century. I'll ride the elliptico and you know that'd be fun as well. But yeah, if you do go to a specialty sto- running store, um, remember the name Hoka. Uh, Hoka. It's kind of a newer brand, but yeah, you'll be amazed at how cushiony they are.
1: Okay. Okay. Cool. All right, man. Thank you.
2: Cheers, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day.
1: You too.
0: And now for the Q and A. I've got a question for you from Randy. Hi, Randy. Randy says, I love your podcast and the guests you have on. In your episode with Dr. Andy Galpin, you mentioned the rare case of someone that takes a pill for thyroid. I'm one of those rare cases. He said, I've taken a pill and have had to get my thyroid regulated since I was a child. Um, He says, I'm a 34-year-old male. I weigh 240 pounds with some muscle, but around 30% body fat. That's down from 320 since 2018 when I started my journey.
1: That's amazing.
0: So great. I've been leaner than I am now. In 2020, I was at 175, but I've started to slide back a bit in the past three years, despite staying active with CrossFit and walking. Admittedly, I've not tracked my food much like I did in the past, but I do eat healthy with the exception of drinking beer on the weekends and once or twice a month popsicles or ice cream. I recently did blood work and it came back that my iron levels are very high. I've scheduled an appointment with my doctor to discuss this. Could my thyroid issue be affecting my iron levels? Is there anything I can do for my nutrition relating to how my thyroid disorder treats my body? So, of course, we're going to just say right off the bat, great, you're seeing a doctor, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know about uh, how the thyroid affects iron i do know that i have been told numerous times that i have high iron and um b- been told if i can to go and donate blood a couple times a year And oh, that's wow literally the solution my doctor has had for me okay um and i think unfortunately um like the first time I was told this was like maybe five years ago Mm -hmm. and I've donated blood once since then. So I'm not, I'm not on top of it as much as I should be, but, but like, I'm also not, I'm getting regular blood work and my, my iron is not alarmingly high. So whatever it was, when that doctor said to do that, he was like, it's no big deal. Just donate blood a couple of times a year. And, I did it once and then got it checked again. And my iron hasn't, It's. I think it's all always towards the upper limits, but it hasn't been, you know, with a big red H next to it. So I, I don't know, you know, what, um, I'm, I, I'm not a doctor and yeah. I, I don't, I just don't know how to answer that.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, anything you want to say about his, um, drinking beer on the weekends and then the, you know, ice cream and stuff. The only reason I say that is because I like that same advice. Like if you're on a plan and you're doing well and you're going to the gym, whatever, but then you, you know, you do these things on the weekends that are like high calorie possibly, you know, it's like, it, well, know- sure.
1: But, but like, I think there's a universe where popsicles or ice cream a couple of times a month. So that's says to me every two weeks, I mean, if we're being literal, But there's a, there's a version of my former self where I could say like, I'm having X a couple of times a month and really it's a couple of times a week or every other day. So I think that there's just a level of honesty there. And then as far as how you're eating the rest of the week, if you're, you know, I think it's very easy for us to get to a place, maintain that place for a while. And then allow some bad habits to creep back in and and so i think it just might require a little cleanup of that and tracking your food a little bit more closely um i don't see why somebody couldn't have and again i you know for me if i was drinking beer on the weekend it would be cases of beer it wouldn't be a couple of beers like how I picture a normal person, but I don't know how, a I don't know. I don't really hang out with beer people. Um, I suppose I, 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 one of my uncles would have like a beer with dinner. Um, but I don't know if he's going home and drinking a 12 pack after that. I have no idea, but he's not portly. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what, you know, uh, Two or three beers should not throw you off that much if you're otherwise being perfect. Yeah. Um, A serving of ice cream every two weeks should not throw you off if you're otherwise being perfect. Stuff like that is hard for me because it, you know, if I really like I got into Halo Top for a while and then it just became like, well, I'm just going to have one of these things every night. And then I was gaining weight, and you know, it wasn't so severe, but it was something I had to go like, what has changed? Why am I up three pounds consistently over, you know, over the last three weeks, I've crept up, I've not been really maintaining. And it was that I started eating, you know, something that's still, you know, it's only 460 calories, like, okay, but that's like the size of a normal meal. So I'm adding a normal meal. And it is mostly carbohydrates right at the end of a day. Um, And not that that matters, but my body's not putting them to use overnight. You know, like 60 grams of carbohydrates for me is fine right before I exercise or even right after I exercise. But right before I go to sleep, I'm not not saying it's going to make me gain fat if I'm perfect in all other areas, but I do wake up feeling a little shitty and so like that crept up on me and I had to like um stiffen my own discipline there a little bit and go like oh this is this is fine Halo Top for me is fine every month, but like once a month, you know, mm-hmm. as yeah. a treat. It's not fine for me to eat every day.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, so that makes
1: that's what I got to say to you, Randy. How much beer, how much ice cream,
0: <laughs> right? How often? Right. Randy, let us know what your doctor says. Totally, you know, obviously curious about that and if that has effects on you and stuff. And thanks for asking your question here. Hope that we had some helpful advice for you. If anyone else has a question for Ethan, you know what? You can always ask it. You just email hello at americanglutton.net. Thanks for listening
1: to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.